This podcast is brought to you by Tethered, the makers of the most badass saddle gear that you are able to find. The most frequently asked question that I get since I started saddle hunting is really about uh, comfort. And aside from it being more comfortable to hike in because it's lighter, it's more compact, compact, it's more mobile. Aside from that, the question is always kind of around whether or not I'm comfortable in the tree. And the saddle is extremely comfortable. And what makes it so comfortable is that it's absolutely customizable to fit each person differently. And you don't need to necessarily be a DIY guru to customize the saddle. Simple things like adjusting your tether height in many cases will get you dialed in and kind of provide you that the comfort that you're looking for in the tree. For me, the game changer ultimately was, in, in terms of comfort, was using the Mantis recliner. And if you don't know what the Mantis recliner is, this is a backband that goes around your back. And, and now they have a Gen 2 version that hooks right into your carabiner. And what it does is it provides you extra support in your back for those long all-day sits in November. Uh, this piece is extremely adjustable. And you might be asking, will this interfere with my shot whenever I'm, I'm drawing my bow? And it absolutely does not. The way it's kind of positioned and the way it fits on you, whenever you go to take a shot, when you lean up, it falls to your lower back and kind of gets out of the way of your of your shot sequence. So you can learn more about Tethered and all their gear at tetherednation.com. And be sure to check out their YouTube channel for a few great DIY saddle tips. September is here, which means that hunting seasons are finally officially kicking off, whether you're out west hunting antelope, elk, etc., mule deer, or if you're here in Pennsylvania where the dove and goose season has just opened. And many of us are actually doing a lot of this hunting on public lands, and the backcountry hunters and anglers are are the folks who continue to help us protect our public lands, making sure that they are accessible and free to those of us that want to that want to use those lands. And the important thing to note here is that September is public lands month, and backcountry hunters and anglers are giving away a free public land t uh, owner t-shirt with every new and renewing membership on their website. And to renew or or to sign up for the first time, you can head to backcountryhunters.org. That's B-A-C-K-C-A-O-U-N-T-R-Y-H-U-N-T-E-R-S dot O-R-G. After you sign up or renew your membership, be sure to follow uh, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Pennsylvania chapter on Instagram. And you can follow them by following at BHA underscore PA. Hello and welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 136. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Kenny Williams, also known as Tater, and we're talking about the evolution of a bow hunter. So stay tuned. What is going on out there? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well. Hope you had a nice holiday weekend and got a little rest and relaxation in and uh, had a little bit of time to maybe fling a few arrows, maybe work on a couple food plots, maybe check some cameras or maybe maybe do all the above or possibly you're just kind of recharging the batteries, maybe putting in a little family time here before the season officially kicks off and uh, and we get short on time for some of those for some of those things. I myself was back uh, in our hometown this past weekend for my daughter's birthday party. So we had that going on. But this is also kind of one of those times where, you know, I don't get to travel back home very often to do anything at the back at the family property. So I took the opportunity to check some cameras 
and uh, did a little tree climbing, kind of finalized my my saddle approach and what I'm going to be doing for climbing mechanisms this, this season and just kind of got comfortable with everything, got up into a tree. I am actually going to be, you know, I waffle back and forth on this between self-filming and not self-filming. There's a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. Um, last year, I think I mainly, I really only took a camera into the tree with me, I think maybe two times, uh, the entire year, maybe three, um, and kind of did away with it. But after getting into a saddle and saddle hunting, it just makes it so much easier to film where this year I decided I'm going to start filming my hunts and, and so forth. So got a few new trinkets for, for that. Um, those all kind of came in the mail this past week. So I'm all set up and ready to go. So I was able to climb into a tree this weekend. And uh, just kind of set everything up and do a dry run just to make sure I'm comfortable with everything, uh, everything that I have. And then uh, additionally, you know, I was able to get out to my dad's piece because I haven't been back there since May and check cameras. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the short story of that is, is that checked all the cameras, plenty of deer on the property. But, you know, usually I'm getting, you know, two, two really nice deer usually every year, it seems during the summer. And then usually one of them kind of sticks around in their, in their core area, at least overlaps our property. Um, that I see them throughout the season on, on camera or on the hoof, as it were, last year. Uh, this year, though, I only have one, what I would call a shooter on camera. Um, he's a deer from last year that I knew. Uh, he's, you know, I, I think the picture that I have of him is from July 22nd. So he had a little bit a little bit to go yet. Um, but in, in all truthfulness, I, I think I have better better deer that are around where I, where I live on some of the public and stuff. So that's probably what my focus is going to be. I'm not sure exactly when I'd get back to maybe hunt that property, unless there's like a family function or something like that, though, where I need to get back for, uh, over hunting season and I can slip in and do slip in and do a hunt. Um, so on the fence about that. So check those cameras, which was perfectly timed because right after I got done the very next day, we got a nice soaking rainstorm that kind of rolled through, uh, which was, uh, which was pretty fortuitous. Um, then did a little bit of uh, broadcast seeding just over the, the, the food plot. Uh, there's still a bunch of clover in it and threw some oats on it uh, just as a, an overseed. That way something comes up here once the clover starts to uh, starts to die off. But uh, other than that, you know, got some stuff dialed in, checked the property and feeling good and ready for the season to start here on the eastern part of PA. I've got about, by the time you're listening to this, I'll have less than probably close to 15-ish days, 16-ish days uh, remaining before the season kicks off here. So really looking forward to that. But I'm not going to belabor this up front a whole lot here. Um, yeah, I got a really cool show today. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy it. Um, you know, this was uh, one that I've wanted to do for a little while, and it's actually an extremely personal uh, podcast for me. Uh, it's with my good friend Tate. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about him on the podcast in the past. He made a very brief appearance um, from the peanut gallery, if you will, last year, whenever, uh, Chad, Chad and I were out in Ohio, Tater was with us in Ohio hunting and Chad and I were doing those, uh, podcasts, you know, every, every day, every other day that we were putting out during the rut and Tater was kind of in the background. He, he made a couple comments. I'm not sure if you guys were able to hear him on the, on the show or not, but the reason that Tater is important, uh, particularly for me is, um, and we'll talk about this in, in the show, but you know, he's, you know, I grew up hunting all my life, um, you know, as a kid, you know, with my dad and so forth and mainly gun hunting, but Tate, you know, who's his real name is Kenny, um, is the one who introduced me to bow hunting. Um, and it was later, it was later in life. You know, it was, uh, I was in my <clears throat> very early thirties, you know, when I moved back to Pennsylvania and I started hunting with him, you know, at the, at the family farm and so forth and doing some gun hunting and 
our personalities just really clicked and we, and we hit it off. Um, and he was, uh, he's a diehard bow hunter you'll hear about it. He's been hunting, you know, with a bow since the mid eighties. Um, and you know, I got, I showed interest in bow hunting and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me what he knew and was able to help me get started and, uh, has kind of been my, my bow hunting mentor since, you know, it's, it's a guy that when, when I'm seeing stuff in the timber, when I'm bow hunting and stuff like that, I'm always texting him. I'm texting him pictures of the deer that I see or that I have on camera or what I saw in the timber this day on this hunt or whatever. Um, we always have a lot of check-ins during the course of the year. Um, and so, you know, it was really, you know, as I'd mentioned, this is a kind of a personal podcast for me because, you know, not only was he instrumental in me starting to bow hunt, um, but also very instrumental in how I kind of, you know, started looking at hunting differently because bow hunting changed my perspective. Um, and then additionally, you know, if, and we mentioned it in the show, but, you know, without him really kind of introducing me to bow hunting, I don't know that I have this podcast um, because it was that fire that he lit that really kind of, you know, steamrolled into being a, a bow hunting addict, which then steamrolled into starting a blog, which then steamrolled into starting a podcast. And, you know, and here I sit today. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and get this show started. I hope you guys enjoy it. And as always, thank you guys for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today is a, a bit of a special show. I have a, <laughs> I have a really good friend with me. Um, in, 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 in fact, he's probably responsible for this whole... Uh, this whole podcast thing that I have have going on, I'll say that he's probably largely responsible for this bow hunting addiction that I have. Um, I'm with my good buddy Tate, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> he might also be known as uh, to to some folks as Kenny Williams, but uh, he's affectionately referred to as uh, as Tater yeah. around around these parts. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine, man. Good. Thanks, thanks for thanks for having me on, bro. Yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, thanks for welcoming the uh, the podcast into your your abode. We're sitting in his man cave out here. We've got we'll cover this at some point, but we've got it's rustic. It's rustic, yeah, it's rustic. But we've got uh we've got Lucky over my left hand shoulder. For all those out there listening, they've been listening for a couple of years. You know about this deer um, that I chased for a while. Uh, Tater's the 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 man who put him on his wall. And then we got a hammer, like 150 inch deer from somewhere in Canada, Manitoba, Manitoba, 97. No, it was 97. Yeah. But, uh, so we're going to jump into this. I wanted to have, I wanted to have Kenny slash Tater on because this is a guy that, you know, I don't even remember exactly how we met. It was through beans. It was through your father-in-law. Yeah. You coming down to camp. Yeah. So I moved back from Orlando. Sure. You know, and then everyone who listens to this, like I grew up hunting. But didn't grow up bow hunting. Bow hunting was something that came came for me later. Sure. And I've told this story on here where it's like, I don't know if you remember, it was turkey season. Probably the year before I started bow hunting. And we got a little sauced up at the cabin. I think it might have been the first year that the cabin, like it was just the basement, I think, that we had that like, we could stay in. Well. It wasn't the Bourbon Boys year. Oh, no, no. It, it was like uh, the year before, no, after we, that or something? Uh, we got sauced up a couple different times in the um, in the old cabin. <laughs> yeah, we did, and that might have that might have been it. Actually. That might have that yeah. might have started. Yeah, there. and the old cabin was literally just a, a shack that was two <laughs> floors. That we we made a bathroom by putting a uh, putting a funnel with a tube out the second floor at <laughs> the second story window, and that was the bathroom. So well, you'd have to go downstairs. Well, if you like to sleep with squirrels uh, or was, mice, it, uh, or mice, that was a nice place to hang out. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, but I've told this story, you know, where I got up, went turkey hunting, still hungover, 
went down, laid down on the ground, and fell asleep in the woods. Woke up, was in the big holla, and uh, there were deer kind of chasing. This was now, this was fall turkey, so I wasn't bow hunting yet. I got you. And you, me, Koval, Beans, we were all down there to do a, a fall turkey hunt. And uh, which in hindsight was is weird to me because of how much of a bow hunter you are that you took the day to kind of go turkey hunt. But you're a, you love turkey hunting too, so it's not like you were giving up the. Uh, I can I can give or take it in the fall. I right. Like, I like to run after them in the spring, but fall is uh, is bow hunting now. Right. You know. Yeah. So I saw deer moving. Doing deer things that I had never seen before. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I remember coming back and you you see any turkeys. I was like, nah, I didn't see any turkeys. It's like, but I saw a couple deer. You're like, oh, where at? And I told you where I was at. And you're like, well, what were they doing? And I said, I've never seen them do this before. I was like, but they were kind of running after one another and it kind of they ripped down the hollow one way. And then five minutes later they'd rip back up the, the hollow. Now, it was probably there was like two bucks that were there and a couple does, right? Young in hindsight, young bucks. Right. Because yeah. it wasn't it wasn't prime time. Like it was still mid to it was getting into the later part of I guess October. It wasn't it wasn't even pre rut yet, I wouldn't even say. But, I doubt it. But it's a couple young deer feeling frisky trying to feel themselves out a little bit. Sure. And what you had kind of explained to me, you just you said, you know, what you what you saw there was, you know, natural deer activity. You know, and that was something I'd never seen before. And when we started talking about the rut, because even growing up all my life hunting I only really ever gun hunted, so I didn't. Right, that wasn't something that we really talked about. You know, was was the rut or, you know, it was. You know, I'm I'm grateful for having the upbringing I did as far as like getting into hunting, but there was a lot of aspects to hunting that we just didn't talk about because of the way we hunted. It was more farmer style hunting, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But it was, um, but it, we didn't get into the details to understand deer behavior or how they like to move or how their seasons change and what influences them, you know, throughout the different seasons and whether foods are a priority or, you know, or procreating is a priority yeah. or whatever that, whatever that is. And so that was really the first time that I had like put those two things together. And you kind of explained to me then that you were like, well, if you want to see more of that, <laughs> maybe you should try bow hunting. Right. Yeah. And and so I remember the famous, the famous words, the famous words. And then it was all downhill from there. But I remember then the next year I ended up using, if you remember, I ended up using a recurve like the first yeah, year I ever, yeah, you, uh, you used, you borrowed your dad's, my dad's recurve. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you said, you know, at this point I didn't know anything cause I really never hunted out of tree stands or anything growing up. I and mean, we had them here and there, but yeah. I usually would my dad did a lot of we hunted from the ground and my dad did a lot of still hunting in hindsight that sure. was how he liked to hunt he would yeah. use the wind and he would wait for a good windy day even when he was gun hunting he liked to hunt you know i guess what you would call like your your not great hunting days you know he would go out in the middle of the week when there weren't a lot of hunters in the woods and that's he would, a good way to go about it yeah and he would find a nice windy day and yeah. he would try to just stalk you know and do a lot of still hunting so i hunted predominantly from the ground all growing up and so you were like hey you know we'll we'll hang you a set next year and get you know get you in a tree and i was like all right cool and i remember taking that long ass bow up into a tree stand like i mean i'd probably be a little bit better at managing it now just because i'm <laughs> i'm more used to being in a, in a tree of course now yeah. but for the first year it was a lot to manage in the, in the in the tree um and i don't know that i even saw a deer that year but it was just no i told you i'd put you on a on a deer and i think the first uh evening you popped up in there you had a doe at range I believe I did. Yeah. 
Now, there was one stand. What surprised me is how you were able to go in there and actually me giving you a, a semi-good <laughs> directions to the stand, and, and you I found ripped it. right in there and found it. Yeah, well, that was a thing because, I mean, you know, it's like I live, you know, everyone's heard me say this, but it's like I live three hours from that property, right? So it yeah. was, you know, I didn't get a chance to get back in the summer really much to, to do any prepping or anything like that. And you were like, hey, I'll hang you a stand. You just come in whatever weekend you want to come in. It might have even been opening weekend. I don't remember exactly what weekend it was. but I, would I say don't remember, it, bud. Yeah, I don't. I'd say probably a good chance that it, it was. It was early in the season. Yeah. And uh, I remember you telling me, like, okay, it's down. It was in the backfield, off the edge of the backfield. You have to walk down that ridge, and then yeah. you cut in. Like, there's some pines right yeah. there, and there's a thicket right in front of it. And yeah. you got to go in there, and it's about... 30 yards into that thicket or whatever, you know, and you're like, you'll see a line of pines and it's, it's sitting in there in a, in the midst of those pines with some good cover. And I went in in the dark, of course. And like, I remember when I came back, you're like, did you find it? And I was like, yeah, because I think you thought I was going to be sitting on the ground all day. Cause I couldn't find the stand where I was going to come back like within like an hour or so. No, I was impressed. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, that's kind of how Kenny and I kind of became friends. He's been good friends with my father-in-law for years, golfing buddies, hunting buddies, and then we really started hanging out at um, at deer camp, hunting rifle together, you know, uh, down there. And then we had this experience together, and he kind of turned me on to bow hunting. And ever since, we've been bow hunting buddies, travel to Ohio together, um, hunting hunting around here a lot. Yep. You know, we don't get to do as much as to be used to, just because I hunt a lot down down by the, down by the house now. But you know, I want to dive into a little bit more more who who tater is versus who who i am and how we, how we met i figured it was uh, appropriate to kind of set that backstory just because my love for bow hunting kind of started there and you know tater's been my kind of bow hunting mentor as we've gone through things as i've seen things it's like this is the guy i always call him we talk to sharp woods woodsman been doing it for years and then I started the podcast because I loved bow hunting so much. And that was really, so it's like this whole fiasco we got going on here <laughs> is really in large part due to the, due to this guy, but hey, the train is still on the track. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it only comes off once in a while. The, the wife might have a different argument, but you know, well, uh, I can manage that. Well, I, uh, I got one too that I think she, most of the time she thinks I'm crazy. Yeah. And there might be a lot of truth to that. I think there is. Yeah. I think on both sides. Well, we know each other well, so we can speak to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So for those out there listening that don't know who you are, you know, I want to get a little bit of background on it. So where are you from? What do you do for a living? Essentially, who is Kenny Tater Williams? Well, I was uh, born in Kittery, Maine. That's right. I forgot about that. uh, my dad was in the military, and uh, I was only up there two years, and I, uh, and he moved back home to uh, Everett, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and I've been here ever since. Nice. And uh, as far as like what you do for a living, you're a regular dude. You know, regular dude, yep. about as regular as they come. Right, <laughs> putting in putting in the nine to five it, grind. No, it's the uh, five to three thirty. Oh, that's right. Yeah, for you, it's the five to three thirty grind. It's a little, it's a little different. Yeah, your hours are a little different than mine. So, you know, born in Maine, dad in the military. You know, how did you, how did you start hunting? Like, was this something that was, you know, something that your your dad did, your family did? Like, so how did you get started into into hunting? The family did it. Yeah, the family. My uncles, my dad, uh, dad being in the military got his time of service he got away from hunting but they he grew up in the woods in the woods as right. a hunter um 
small game especially because back in the late 50s and early 60s believe it or not around this area if you cut a deer track that was news really yeah you had to go to the you had to go to the very very big woods Mm -hmm. to actually maybe see a deer right so uh as i got older eight nine ten years old i wasn't old enough to hunt yet it was growing up for me 12 years of age you got your hunting license right but i always went out early with uh my dad kicking out rabbits for him and and i i just loved it right i just loved it it wasn't forced upon me it was something that i i accepted and embraced right at a very young age right and then uh it was always hard for me because he'd go down to his moms and the, the deer gang would get together and hunt deer right well i wasn't old enough to go right but at the end of the day the home wasn't far away he'd come and get me drag me down there and we i'd help sharpen knives and i don't know if i got knives sharp for the guys they said <laughs> they said they were sharp but i was in there mixing it up with my uncles and listening and hanging on every word that they experienced that day and they were driving deer the old-fashioned way and and trust me clint they were very very successful at it right yeah i mean i think that's the interesting part is that when you're at that age you know um and you're not and you're and you're just on the outside right sure it's like you're you're looking how do how do i get in you know you look at your uncles your grandfather your dad like they're 30 foot tall and bulletproof and exactly. as, as deer hunters you know you don't know anything different and so you just think they're the you know the best thing that walked the earth you better you know believe I mean? it yeah and so when they talk about the experiences that they have i mean it's just like i i think you and i talked about that actually it was after that turkey hunt that we that i took anna on i think it was anna's first turkey hunt you ended up we were working the same bird and it turned towards your side of the hollow and yeah. came over you ended up you know tagging him yeah and then we came over and my daughter was loosely interested in hunting you know like sure. as, as a kid like she just knew that her dad did it and she wanted to check it out sure. so we went and did it and she had a good time and uh, we're gonna do a little deer hunting this year with her but it's a good thing bro. yeah yeah and uh i remember when we came over and we're talking to you about getting you know how well, i just asked you normal questions about like you know how'd that bird work in where did he come off the roost at you know what i mean and did he come directly in on you or he kind of did he was he gobbling a lot did he go quiet like i just i was wanting you to paint the picture for me so i could kind of understand what happened and i looked at my daughter as you were talking about that and it was like she was more interested in the story you were telling than she was in the actual hunt yeah like she was hanging on every word like she wanted to know what happened you know um and that to me is like you know probably one of the most important things of hunting you know what i mean it's like there's a lot like you know i always talk about hunting camp right there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects of hunting camp that um, don't necessarily uh, fit the way I like to hunt, you yeah. know, per se. Yeah. Um, partially because I have very limited time, you know, with work and stuff like that. So it's like if I'm going to get it done, it's like I got to go get it done. And I got to kind of go a little bit more of like a lone wolf kind of approach, sure. you know, um, is how I kind of prefer to hunt. But the thing that I probably, you know, miss out on, you know, and I'm going to, I guess, get a little bit of it this year because I'm going to take my daughter down is the uh is the storytelling aspect of of camp yeah you know what i mean like that's that's one of the one of the best things it's just you know i think one of the big things that'll help that actually is that 
now on in PA, like the Saturdays on or the the openers on a Saturday, where before it was always on a Monday. So I had to decide. Am I spending a day of vacation to hunt rifle exactly. and go to camp essentially whenever that's not really my preferred way to hunt? Like right. I prefer to hunt with a bow and, you know, I'll, I go rifle hunt, gun hunt if my daughter wants to go and I'll take her out on a mentored hunt exactly. or whatever. Yeah. But now, you know, I look at it and go like, you know, I can go down and hang out and if I want to go hunt, I can hunt. I can take my bow if I want to. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't have to take an extra day off to do it because exactly. I prefer to spend my vacation time for archery season. I got you, bro. You know, which is... Um, which is cool. So, so it's fair to say, like you got your introduction into small game, you know, and then that was my first uh, shooting of of a gun. Dad would let me, right, pop a squirrel, you right, know? and uh, and it it came easy. Uh, it was enjoyable, right. A long day in the woods or in the fields or anything. I I I just loved it. Yeah, I just loved it. Yeah. So, do you? So, when did you first start just? Deer hunting in general, not bow hunting, but like your first deer hunt at age twelve. At age twelve, when I was able to go hunt with the uh, the yeah. gang, yeah, and I was very, very green, yeah, <laughs> very green, bro. I was. I thought I had it all figured out, but I I learned with every hunt and practically every step I took in the woods. Right. Yeah. So tell me tell me about the green experience then. Like how how were you, how were you green? Well, I. All the little things that uncles and dad and other gang members would mention, like um, one of the very first big bucks that I actually saw on a drive was uh, brought right up to me, Hmm. pushed right to me. But I remember sometime before that, my uncle saying if the difference in running, if you hear a that's a good sign of a stiff-legged buck running, you know. And, right. And believe it or not, Clint, I knew that this was a buck at, at age 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I knew this was a buck running towards me. I hadn't seen him yet, but I knew this was a male deer running towards me. And the heart's pumping. Things are going on. And then I saw him, and then I shot at him, and I missed him clean. <laughs> And the rest, the rest is history. But just that's just how green I was. I had to grow. Yeah, I had to get more confident till I got my first deer. Now, and driving with the gangs, uh, I first started out with a twenty gauge pump, and then I, right. an uncle let me a, a thirty thirty single, right, single shot, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it just it just started to evolve from that. Right, and then I got my first deer. It was a spike, and and right. I was the, I was the cock of the walk for like three minutes. Right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I mean, the first deer, those are always trophies. Yeah, know I mean, no matter how it, big or small, it was. I, I remember well. He was running full bore, and I slipped one into him because I held on him. He was running across the field, and he was kind of running even with me, not running away, and right. the distance wasn't increasing. Wasn't changing as it was wasn't going. Wasn't changing, right. but he was running belly to the ground, and I really held on him and squeezed, and yeah. I was glad to see uh, who's go <laughs> up in the air. <laughs> right. So there we go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's wild because, you know, because um, I kind of grew up, similarly right we i grew up in the same area you grew up in yeah um 
and uh, of course we're years apart in age, but you know, like I said, we did a lot of still hunt when I first started hunting with, with a gun, you know, sitting or walking and stalking. But there were instances because the, the, the farms around us, cause we had like a back 40 where I lived, you know, my grandpa owned some acreage or whatever, yeah. but yeah. I, I pretty much stayed on that back 40 in Graceville or whatever and hunted that for sure. the most part, whether it was turkey, squirrel, deer, whatever it was. And, uh, but the colleges and all the farmers that lived around us, like they were big drivers. They drive right? it. Yeah. And they would drive the, the one ridge behind our place and they would drive over by the, the pig farm. They would drive that. And man, you could just watch a herd come running across the yep. field, across their field, across the road, across the field next to our house. And then down in this big hollow that was down toward the river. Yeah. And that's usually where I would hunt. And so every deer I killed as a kid growing up, like if you couldn't hit something running, <laughs> you weren't killing anything. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? I so it's, uh, you know, so I got pretty adept at, at shooting, you know, things on the, on the run and yep. like leading them out, yep. and, you know, letting them have some space. And them run. Yeah. You, you had, had to. to. Um, so I was a pretty sharp, sharp shot. So it was like transitioning into bow hunting. It was, it was just a world of difference because I had never shot a deer not moving <laughs> in my life until I started bow hunting. You know what I mean? I know. It's, like, um, it's a pleasant change. Oh, me. it's a great change. Yeah. I was like, what did they, they don't run? Like they're not running. Like I can, I have some time, you know? Granted, I say I have some time, but as you know, it's like things happen in the deer woods so quick whenever you have a bow in your hand because you're really dealing with close range and, you know, your movements, a whole, it's a whole different ball game There's because a lot of how close stuff you are. Going on. But, uh, so you got your first deer, right? Um, you're now part of the crew. I'm, I'm officially part of the crew. Yeah. You've had to cut your shirt tail off because you missed one. So you're, oh, you're... I, I had several shirt tails. <laughs> yeah. <off>. So. <laughs> When did you start, when did bow hunting become a thing for you? Like, when did you start bow hunting? When did that come about? 1985. Okay. Uh, but I did not hunt until 86, but a bunch of friends, uh, mm -hmm. we all gun hunted mm -hmm. and partied together and, and were young and dumb. And But anyway, bow hunting interested me and I wanted to. To check that out. Now, how did you get introduced to it? Was someone in your family bow hunting, or a friend of mine, Steve? You was, still hunt with that guy? You I still, still, hunt with still yeah. Steve. I'm trying to get him to go to Ohio this yeah, year. Yeah, remember you telling me about that? He's not committed yet, but I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna work on him hard. Yeah. Anyway, he was bow hunting for a couple years, and he was telling me stories, encounters in the woods, especially late October and November about the rut. Now I knew about the rut. I knew. Mm -hmm. I knew how deer acted in the woods. Right. Had I actually really seen any of it while being a rifle hunter late in the season, late November and early December? No. Right. So I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna give this bow hunting gig. I'm gonna check it out. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the best moves I made was went to a local hardware store here in Everett, and uh, the guy that worked the outdoor the sporting goods section was yeah. a an avid bow hunter and i went in there and says look tom i'm i want to take up this sport i'm green i don't know a thing uh can you help me out <clears throat> he says uh i'm gonna hand you bows over the counter i want you to pull them back and he handed me bows over the counter now these were early early compounds right and uh i pulled one back he's in there that's short I pulled another one back. That's long. And I think about the fourth or fifth one, I pulled it back. And he 
He says, okay, I like how everything's looking right there. How's that feel to you? I says, what well, feels good to I me. I wouldn't know the difference. But right? I, I don't know. Does it? Should it feel right. good or should it look right? He right. says, I think you got your draw right there. And uh, it turned out to be it's that old boat's hanging up there on that wall behind that no, Manitoba right. yeah. buck. That old Golden Eagle Pro Turbo. Right. Like 25 percent let off and right. so yeah. when you when you drew back on a deer with that guy uh you're holding you, some stuff well you're holding some stuff and you you might want to try to get your shot taken care of pretty quick right. before you start quaking right you want to be judicious about your draw about your the time you're holding your draw but the early bow uh, the early bow hunting for me clint in all honesty uh was uh a lot of learning a lot of learning from mistakes that I that I did, and I never forgot them. I mm -hmm. I always filed and in, keep info and in back of my head, and I didn't. I did not take a deer until my third year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I guess it seemed like after you got your first big league hit or something, it did it come easy after that? No, right. But I. I gained that confidence. I was right. already pretty confident in my woodsmanship, right? How to read woods and stuff like that, and and then I started uh, I started taking deer, and I was hunting bucks with friends, especially mm -hmm. Steve. We hunted a lot together, and uh, the quality of animals weren't there that was before the horn restriction in pa way before that. oh yeah i mean we didn't even have that one where i was growing up as a kid so yeah. it's like i you know i tell friends like chad you, you know you, you know my buddy chad sure, we hunted sure together do. in ohio last year rodeo yeah old rodeo you know it's uh you know it and, and talking to him i mean i know he knows this as well but just in our conversations like the caliber of deer that he would see growing up and stuff like that versus the caliber of deer that i would see growing up you know i shot you know a six point was the biggest deer I'd ever seen on the hoof during hunting season, yep. you know, in my life growing up in Pennsylvania until, until recently, to be honest, you yep. know what I mean? It's I like, know. it I was know. just, you didn't, if you saw a rack, anything that might be the best deer you saw that year. Exactly. You know, And, and that's how it always, that's how it. Now used. there were pockets, there's pockets in PA that had good deer, especially when you get out West toward the, towards the Allegheny. Exactly. You get into some bigger mountains where little bit more rugged country yep. deer get to get a little bit more age on them but they can for, get old right for where we live where it's pretty you've got some hill country but it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't ever call it rugged you know no it's and, not rugged and it's a lot of farmland too yep. you know what i mean so it's chunked out and growing up i mean i know hunting numbers are going down and stuff but growing up especially around here it's everybody hunts it was an event everybody hunts and everybody drives yeah you know what i mean so it's a uh, it's one of those things where you know it's a lot of deer get get put down you know well, especially you, before the antlers restrictions well exactly clint uh when i was growing up hunting and especially early in my bow hunting thing deer bucks never had a chance to get old yeah they just didn't they just didn't get a chance to reach age yeah or maturity or yeah anything like that yeah i mean it's it's different now and in, in in a very good way you know it's there's all oh, very much so yeah, yeah there's a you know there's just even around here you know whether it's down at the farm or my dad's property or whatever it's like you're seeing better and better well better i and better deer I, I see it from everybody mm -hmm. uh you know at work uh, you got your guys that are camera happy and mm -hmm. 
they're bringing in pictures of deer they got on trail cams and uh, the quality of animals in this area has increased yeah tenfold yeah i mean no one would ever mistake it for the midwest necessarily no, right no. but you get some but you will get a handful of decent deer like you know a good example is lucky hanging on the wall there right yeah. like that deer you know if if his if his rack right would because he was a four and a half year old deer yep. when you shot him yep he uh he's barely an eight point because he has a crab claw and like a small crab claw on the other side yeah but he's all palmated and yeah, he's got very much. a lot of character a lot of purling around his bases and stuff like that super cool deer he's got for the area he's got some he's got some mass on him yep. like a deer would have never got to four and a half years old on that farm 10 years ago 12 oh, no. years ago 15 years ago oh no. never would have happened nope you know it was uh and it's funny because you know when you look at him and you see his rack it's like he's an interesting cool looking deer and he doesn't he doesn't uh he doesn't look like a giant like shall we say but on that farm he was a special animal because that was the first four and a half year old deer i can ever remember seeing like legitimately knowing that he was four and a half because i followed him on trail cameras since he was probably a, a year and a half old yeah we had impact from uh from a from basically a basically from not from conception but right. uh, his first year yeah and he just never he never ballooned up like you would expect him to. He just didn't have it in him or whatever, but yep. it was just one deer that we were able to follow through a couple of years. He was a super, super cool deer, but that deer would have never had a chance, you know, in, in years past. Never just a chance. Would have never happened. But, uh, so you started bow hunting in, in 1986, yeah. right? You know, I guess, let me ask, what was it about bow hunting that you, that you like? Cause I know you, I know you like to hunt small game. I know you like to hunt Turkey. I know, especially in the spring, you like to hunt gobblers and you're really good at it <laughs> and I'm terrible at it. So well, it's thanks. like, I'm always looking for pointers from you. Uh, well, uh, uh, I need to, I need to correct some eyesight here. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you do have that thing. Going. <laughs> I, 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 I need to act on that. Right. It's uh whether I do or not uh, remains to be seen. It's the, uh, Sometimes I'm just too Irish and hard-headed. Right, yeah. Well, that is true, too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that is true, too. There's some truth to that. The, uh, so what is it about what is it about bow hunting that drew you to it? I, and I'm going to guess it's probably a lot of the same things that drew me to it, but... I, I can... I'm sure of that, Clint, in some aspects. My, my first draw to it was... Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Basically, I was feeding off some of the stories that my friend Steve told me. Mm -hmm. Oh, Kenny, I had a nice one in tonight at 17 yards. 
got in behind a tree and I couldn't shoot or he busted me. And, and I, I'm like, dang, man, that I wasn't really expressing it to him. Mm -hmm. I was expressing it to myself in a silent mode. That really sounds cool. I, I would like to really, I want to get, I want to get in on this. Mm -hmm. So I did. And, uh, it, it was part of that. I wanted to experience, I wanted to hop in their, in their world for a while and, and just see what transpires pre-rut, during the rut, and, and just to get closer to deer. It was solitude. Mm -hmm. As I got older, it wasn't about, it wasn't so, and it's never been like that with me. Uh, uh, you've heard me say this a hundred times to you. To me, it's the chase. Mm -hmm. Whether you catch them or, or you don't, it's. I love the chase. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to fox one of these guys. It's. It's. I won't get in the Hall of Fame for a three hundred batting average on that. So. Right. But it's that was the allure at an early point. It really was. Uh, that time of the year in the woods. I always enjoyed that. Right. As a youngster growing up, my dad going squirrel and rabbit hunting and stuff, I think I saw rut activity at points mm -hmm. as a younger kid. Didn't know what was going on. We'd see deer. So it just, it a snowball effect was kind of taking place with me, and I wanted to start bow hunting and, uh, for the solitude, mm -hmm. always hunted with friends anyway. Right, but you didn't hunt beside your buddy. You was up in that tree by yourself, and yep. And it was kind of on you. I got in the feeding the family kind of mode. You know, we got to mm -hmm. get something to eat here. Or we're gonna starve through the winter. I just right. think like that, you know. Right. But it was the one-on-one -on -one aspect. Right. Of it. Yeah. And uh, as I've I guess there is an evolution to bow hunting. I've evolved. Uh, there was a greater appreciation for the animal. Oh, yeah. And the time that I, I do get now is more, I kind of took it for granted early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, any any time spent, especially with a bow in my hand in a tree stand, is is precious oh, it's, it's sacred back. it's it's valuable yeah. yeah yeah so you started going down a road there that I, that was actually one of the things i wanted to talk about next a little bit was you know um well let me say this like for me a lot of the values that i have toward or how i think about bow hunting has have come you know predominantly from you right um i learn a lot from a lot of guys you know what i mean it's like i said at the beginning of this like you're kind of responsible for this whole fiasco kind of starting you know, and, and in that way, I'm appreciative because it's this podcast and, and stuff like that has opened up all kinds of opportunities for me to meet guys from all over the country that hunt differently. And I get to learn from them. And then some of them, I'm fortunate enough to call my friends. Some of them, I'm fortunate enough that I can text them while I'm in the timber and get some advice real quick and stuff like that. My hat's off to you for that, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's super cool. And like, and you kind of started all, started all that. So I have a similar appreciation where it's, you know, I guess this way, you know, sometimes people, you know, folks will get, give folks grief if they pass animals and so forth. You know, there was one maybe in Ohio that I maybe shouldn't have passed last year on the opening, opening day yeah. out there hunting together. Right. But like, I kind of picked that up from you because it, it wasn't, you know, and even my dad, cause my dad was never all about the, about the kill. You know what I mean? My dad just enjoys being in the, in the woods, you know? And so that 
he started that. And then when I picked up a bow and put a bow in my hand, you kind of reinforced it to where I was more interested in the experience of it. And if an animal got tagged in the process of it, then that was just the cherry on the top. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there were things that I was seeing and I was learning and I was experiencing that, you know, that people that don't have a bow in their hand sitting in a tree just don't get to experience in life. I know. You know what I mean? And that, and that was just one of the things like you, you've, you talked to me about that. And it's one of those things that until you experience it, you probably don't recognize sure. it. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I would say even when I first started, I probably took it for granted a little bit too, you know? Um, but it, I think, I think it was the first deer that I killed with a bow kind of changed that. Right. Because it was like all these things had to come together and work. You know what I mean? And the first one was a doe. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like I'd killed bucks with a gun me, and whatever. Me too. My you know? first deer was a doe. Yeah, it was it was a doe. And it was just, it was one of those things where it finally all came together. And that was when I kind of recognized that all these little things happened to make this end result. Yeah. And man, do I need to start paying more attention to all those little things. And not just from like a strategy and tactical perspective, because I'll have more success if I, if I start recognizing the details. Mm-hmm. But it was more, man, I'm going to enjoy this so much more if I just appreciate all those little moments that kind of come by that provide me learning opportunities. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that. And then you started going down a path here, and this is where I wanted to kind of take it next, was, you know, you started talking about evolving as a bow hunter, right? So I want to get a sense from you first. It's two parts. How have you seen bow hunting change over the years? And how have you seen yourself change as a bow hunter over the years? So we'll do the first part first. How have you seen bow hunting change over the years? Well, uh, I mean, to, obviously the gear has changed, right? To, Technology, to, but exactly to start with, and, uh, we can brush over that, but, uh, the involvement of, the equipment you use, it, it has just, from 1986, now, you can, till now, you can look at that and say, well, that's a that's a, a pretty lengthy time span, or you can say, well, that's not so long. But the technology and, and the gear that you can take to the bow woods now, it's just, it, there's no comparison until when I first started hunting. I got a guy from Headstrom to make me a homemade tree stand. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i slipped down the wet trees more than once it was uh it might have been a 14 by 14 uh platform with wing nuts and some angle and and it got the job done clint but i'm you know you pull six or seven hours in one of them because there wasn't a seat right <laughs> and was i smart enough to whip up or buy me a seat to wrap around the tree to sit on no because <laughs> no because i because i was hard-headed stupid right but no not stupid hard-headed but uh has it as it's evolved the technical part of it aside i, I i've noticed guys a lot of guys still will after you talk to them no matter how long they've been hunting with a bow the first thing that comes in is being shot at i i maybe i shouldn't even be bringing this up but Mm. 
I just listen to guys. Not mm-hmm. that I'm perfect. Right. I'm far from it. But that involvement there with some guys, and, I, and some of them I call friends, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see them never really evolving and getting mm-hmm. the, the full picture of it, right. of, of, of what bow hunting is. Not that I'm trying to preach anything. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, right. That's how they approach it. I've told you before, Clint, that my wall of shame is right. It's full. Right. <laughs> so I've evolved to uh, basically appreciate every hunt I go on now, mm-hmm. whether it's good, bad, weathered out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio last year. Yeah. Uh, weathered out. That's Mother Nature. I yep. have no. I have no fight with her about that. I. I've, right. I've. If you can't take a lot of the bad that comes with a little bit of the good in bow hunting, you should not be doing this sport. <laughs> right. You, know, you, you ought to be doing something else. Yeah, that's the truth. But that's, in a nutshell, that's what right. I've observed. If, right. I don't know if I answered your question or not. Yeah, I, th- I think you did. I mean, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a a lot has changed, and at the same time, nothing has changed for some. Some, right? Yeah. And that's kind of like the approach. And it, it's not that it's right or or that it's wrong. I think that's more, especially when it's friends, right? That you 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 wish and you hope for them that they are able to enjoy the the smaller things, right? Because yeah. I see the same thing. I mean, you know, we just looking at. I don't ever consider myself to be in the hunting industry, quote unquote. I run a a podcast that is. I'm fortunate that some folks listen to it, but you know, it's not like I'm a celebrity hunter by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And, you know, I hope that when I see like some guys in the industry, especially if they have shows or TV shows or whatever, it's like, and this was partly me and I've talked about it on the show is that there was a point in time where it's like hunting was one of those things that I'd, I'd loved, but it was also one of those things that was starting to drive me a little bit crazy because I was putting a lot of undue pressure on myself to do certain things or achieve certain things because, you know, I thought that that was required in order for me to have any type of legitimacy in the space that I'm in with a, with a show. Right. I understand Um, what you're saying there. And, and that was actually the hunt for lucky oddly enough. And I talked about that because I was getting all ate up because I was trying to get on him and I had an opportunity that opening day of that season. I couldn't seal the deal because a younger deer winded me and, and took off and he took off with him. And I was just getting frustrated because I was trying to first off in, in Pennsylvania. And I've talked about this on previous podcasts with my buddy, Greg. And like, I stopped because of him, almost th- this deer, I stopped hunting specific deer. I started hunting mature deer and terrain features. That's how I started hunting because hunting a deer year over year in Pennsylvania is really hard, Yeah, you know, because they don't make it from one year to next very often. If they're, of a, a nice caliber and a decent animal. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like that's just the, the case. I mean, we've come a long way, um, but the antler point restrictions in my opinion, where we're seeing better deer, but you still don't have a lot of deer making it to three and a half years old in Pennsylvania. Right. It's like, no. if you see a three and a half year old deer, that's, that's a good, that's a good deer. But going back to the point that I was making is that a lot of dudes that have shows, podcasts, web shows, whatever, feel compelled to, you know, that it's all about the kill 
and it's all about the antler they're putting down or that they're putting on film or whatever the case is, because then it legitimizes them as a, as a hunter or whatever. I'm just like, man, you're, you're missing it. You know, you're, you're, you're missing the, you're missing the best part of it. Well, you the, know, I, and I, not to say I don't like to kill deer. Like I like to kill deer. Sure. But I've got to a point now to where, you know, like that trip that we took to Ohio that I killed that good deer. Mm-hmm. When I think about that trip, I don't, in fond memories of that trip, yes, that deer pops into my head, but it's not the first thing that pops into my head. The first thing that actually pops into my head is helping you drag out your deer. You know what I mean? Like, those are the things that, like, I remember about hunts first and foremost. And, like, whether I filled a tag or not is, like, the secondary or tertiary thing that I think about well, as damn, far as a memory. Damn, Clint. I don't think I've ever heard you express that to me. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad you helped track <laughs> It wasn't a pleasant drag. But uh, well, we, he, we tra- he tried to get down the ridge, but he, he didn't make it. He didn't make it. But so that's the, I think that that's kind of what you're saying is that, you know, there's a lot of things to, to think about and, and enjoy about bow hunting. And if, if you're hung up on trying to one up the next guy or having the biggest deer or, you know, ate up on how many inches of antler you're going to put on your wall or whatever the case is, you know, then you're, you're missing it. You're missing. uh... And not only are you missing it and I'm not downgrading anybody for it, but like, Man, like I feel bad that you're missing out on these experiences that you're just letting fly by you that are there for you to have, right? But you're not recognizing, right? You know, right? That's uh, I think that that's kind of what you were you were kind of getting. Well, at. yeah, and especially at my age now, Clint. Uh, right. My, the first number in my age starts with a five, right? And the last number starts with is a nine, right? So, <laughs> uh, back to what I was saying earlier, every uh. And I still got a lot of game, you know that. Yep. But uh, every uh, every chance I get out now, whether it's good or bad, mm-hmm. whether I get busted by a deer, uh, doesn't mean you're not frustrated if something happens, no. right? But it's like you still have you, you you're able to place it in its right spot. Sure. Well, I I I'm like you. Do I do I like to bust a nice one? Well, heck yeah. As a, as a bow hunter, hell yeah. Who you, doesn't? You, you know? can't lie to your friends or anybody else and say well i'll, I'll take whatever i get now now right. you want you want to pop a good one right and uh what i've been trying to get to is that's my one of my biggest evolvements as a hunter is a bow hunter is i i appreciate the time more right uh i, I love the little nuances that might occur during a hunt mm-hmm. uh the chance or being in an area with worthy animals, mm-hmm. I appreciate. Yeah, whether or not I see them or not, it, it's just all—it's all the little things. Uh, like you said, if if you knock one down, that's a good thing. There, there's your icing on the cake, right, right. there. You uh, you worked hard. You didn't sleep all that good or eat all that good, <laughs> right. and, and and you got rewarded. Do I have to be rewarded? No. I, I get a lot of reward off of what I experience throughout the season. And and on every single hunt I go on, whether it's good or bad, or I take a zero deer sighting or right. or I get ran over all morning or evening. It's I, I 
I try to keep everything even right, right. right there. Right. So, so that's an, you know, that's, I think one part of like the evolution of a bow hunter, right. Is that aspect of the appreciation part of it. And I think, you know, look, I think a lot of that comes with age too, right. As you get a little older, you start to recognize that you're not necessarily the priority, you know what I mean? I know, yeah. you know, I know that you put me, especially early on, you put me in stands and in locations to help me try to have a good hunt. You know what I mean? Knowing full well that you could have went and sat that spot yourself and had, and had the hunt, but you uh, were putting me in a situation I, to try to have an experience to where to go basically to reinforce like the, you know, something that I had already knew at that point, which was that like, I loved bow hunting, you know what I mean? But you were trying to, you were like, I've had those experiences. Let me help you try to see these things too. Yeah. You know, which was really helpful for me and my learning curve. I never, I never looked at things like that with you or with anybody else. I, I I don't, I don't care about that. Right. If it's like pushing a a youngster into anything, Mm -hmm. anything, hunting, fishing, Soccer, baseball, right? Try to give them the most positive experience you can. Experience you yeah. can, and, and uh, the rest usually takes care of itself. Yeah. So I want to shift gears here, and I want to talk a little bit about you know the the type of land that you've hunted. Well, actually, let me back up for one second. I want to go back to the evolved bow hunter thing again because we talked kind of about the emotional involvement. That's really what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know that that kind of component. Yeah. Of it. There's a there's a there's a emotional connection for me yeah and, and like that's kind of what we were talking about that evolution of you know wanting to kill deer to now it's those small experiences mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about how you've evolved as a bow hunter from like a tactic and strategy perspective right like so what were some things that you would types of hunts you would put on maybe early on that maybe now you hunt a little bit differently so just like going into the woods and hunting early like 1993 yeah. versus two years ago. Like, how do you do you hunt any differently than you did then, or or not really? Yes, 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 and no, Clint. Uh, early on, I, I was able to pay attention and try to get as much feedback from the what the woods would tell me, mm-hmm. or a wind, or a food source that might be a quarter mile away, or something. But to be honest with you, Clint, I would I would find, and a lot of these areas I I knew because I grew up hunting them right with my uncles and the family driving deer, mm-hmm. so I was familiar with a lot of the terrain that I hunted, and a lot of that was farmland mm-hmm. with a lot of hardwood mm-hmm. and pine and, and everything like that. And what I would do, Clint, and I'm sure thousands of other guys did too as as a semi greenhorn at it let the woods tell you where they're heading or how they're getting back mm-hmm. did i know where deer bedded in a lot of these areas yeah did i push into there no i always i wasn't super aggressive you'd hang on the outsides and try to pick them off i'd try to pick them off uh, but i would I knew a lot of good, consistent deer movements on how they would approach certain fields or or little little corners from one wooded lot to the next. I I, mm-hmm. I I applied a lot of that when I started bow hunting by what I had learned as a fourteen and fifteen year old kid tramping around with the right. the guys in rifle season. Yeah. 
Now I, uh, I pay, I try to pay a lot more attention to the wind. Do I let it dictate my whole hunt? Yes and no. If I if I know that a wind is no good, mm-hmm. I'm not going to hunt that spot. Right. I, I don't want to climb up there and sightsee and <laughs> and right. watch chipmunks all evening or morning. But right. It's I I've actually. And I'm not ashamed to admit this. I've learned a lot from you oh, because uh, of all the different people, articles, anything that you've ran into. You always tell me these these cool little tidbits, and I'm like, "Damn, right? <laughs> that, you know that that makes sense, right?" And I've never looked at things like that. We had one yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and I'll share it really quick. It was okay. if anyone out there hasn't had a chance to watch the thing Barry Wenzel did yeah. on YouTube, I forget he he I think he did like some type of semi series with like some archery outfit or something like that that he's doing a couple different. Yeah, speak. I think it was one long speaking engagement, and I think they kind of cut it up into like a couple different sure. topics or whatever. Um, but he was talking about you know hunting mature deer, especially you know his experience specifically being in Iowa um, and how mature deer will use wind and thermals. And this is specifically for hill country. And like what he was saying was, is like, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're playing thermals. Yes. But you have to think about how the deer is going to play thermals in the wind and not just deer in general, but the deer that you want to kill. If you have one that you're patterning, or if, if you know, there's one or two mature deer in an area. And the example that he gave was that, you know, there's a field, you know, if, if I'm sitting, if I'm standing in a buck bed and I'm, I'm the buck, there is a field to the North, right? The buck is bedding South on a Ridge. Right. And so the morning, you know, thermals are going to come up that Ridge and that's great for him to bed. He's probably, you know, watching his six cause he has a line of sight, but he's looking, you know, he's, he's able to smell everything coming from up, you know, below the Ridge or whatever. Thermals are rising. In the evening, the does and the young deer, young bucks will leave as that thermal still works in their favor before the thermals start dropping and the, and the wind, et cetera, starts to change because they want that wind in their face as they're heading out to the field because they want to make sure it's clear of danger. Yep. Well, that buck is likely bedding a little bit further behind those does, right, because he's trying to stay away from that social pressure. But what he's also doing is the reason he's coming to the field late at dark is because... Once those does get out there, he's actually waiting for the thermal to shift and start moving down the ridge or down the side of the mountain. Put and then he's going to back. Yeah. And then he's going to come down with the thermal and the wind to his back so yep. he can cover his six from behind him with his nose. And he's got the canary in the mine shaft, the other deer out in front of him that have already come down those same trails or through that same area of timber to get to the food source and knows that that is all clear because they've already cleared that area for him. Yeah. And I was just like, I heard that and I was like, damn. Well, I was like, that's smart. Cause if you ever notice, like if you're glassing or whatever, right. I've watched it down at the farm yeah. a couple of different times, glassing I know. the alfalfa field. Yeah. The biggest deer was always the last sure. one there. And, and he, and he would come in, you know, and this isn't new news, but he would always come in at the low spot in the field. Why? Yeah. Because that's where the thermal pool is kind of hanging out and he can kind of hit that thermal pool there, scent, check it real quick and then know whether or not that there's any danger in the field and come up. I, I've always just on that aspect, I, yeah. I, I've always kind of realized what what Barry was trying to say there but I never dissected it and, and took it clean to why to where or when that buck is actually 
or that mm-hmm. animal you're targeting yep. is actually stepping his first foot into that field. Yeah. I never took it that far. Yeah. It was it was one of those things like I've always had the assumption because I mean, you know, I've always said not to go back to talking about lucky here a hundred different times this podcast, but like I learned a ton by hunting that deer because I hunted him multiple years yeah. and like that was the animal that really kind of helped me. I always feel like as bow hunters, we can learn a lot from each other, you know, and, and my buddy Greg and I talk about this because it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, as you mentioned, you know, doing this thing, I get to meet a lot of people and I get to learn a lot. The one thing that I need to do now is I need to see these things play out. It's that, mm-hmm. it's that entry experience where it really kind of makes it ironclad for you, where you see it play out and then you're able to kind of really start to start to use it. And that's in hunting lucky. It's like, I saw him do a lot of things that I had heard or had read about or had watched like a YouTube video about or whatever it was as I was learning and just like, I love deer hunting information. So it's like, I'll eat it up. I'll read whatever. You're a sponge. And I just saw him do certain things where, you know, as a mature deer, I was like, this is how a mature deer acts. This is what he does in this situation. This is what, and when Barry had mentioned that, whenever I was listening to that piece, I was like, Everything he mentioned about a mature deer, I was like, no shit. And that's and that's how that's, I, that's why you didn't cut an arrow loose at him that that yep. opener a couple years ago because he had a a young deer with him that sure. was his canary in the mine shaft. Yeah, you know he was not moving out in front of that and out he wasn't leading the pack. He, he was letting a younger deer he kind would, of he would never got out in front of any of them other deer in there. No, he was playing it cool and uh, and just watching him enter fields when I would glass him and stuff like that. And you know he was always late to the party. You know, and that was ultimately how. I figured out where to set up on him because I knew what time he was getting to an end and destination where I could see him. And I was just starting to backtrack him to where I thought he was bedded and how he was getting to where I was glassing him. Well, quick point back to how bow hunting has evolved. You let your, you let your cameras tell you. That's why we didn't never Mm -hmm. had cameras back when I first started. But, and I'll make this real short. You had him. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's you, if that young deer wasn't with him, he was you, dead. You pegged him. <laughs> he you was pegged him. the only thing that didn't happen was cut an arrow loose on him. But you know, but he won. You know, it's like it was uh, the one thing I didn't plan for is because I didn't. And this is what he taught me, right? The one thing I didn't plan for was that part of the season was him to still be with a group of deer. Sure, right. And the reason being is because he wasn't. I guarantee you, he wasn't probably bedded real close to them, right? October. Fourth, fifth, third, whatever it was. I doubt it. But I bet you they all hooked up. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and yeah. he was he was not coming to the field no. until he had someone else out in front of him doing the checking. Sure did. You know? And that so that was a big learning experience for me. It was now, you know, whenever especially when I'm hunting early, I always kind of watch out for the the lurker. The the the, the per- one that I'm not hunting, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah. The, you know? per- the first one's coming. You, you, you kind of hate to see him, but you know that that's something you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Extra if, eyeballs, if, extra ears, extra noses. If your target yeah. is in that group of deer that's coming. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, look, for everyone out there listening, it's not like this is ironclad, that it's how this happens all, all the time, right? Every deer has its own personality. They all kind of operate differently. Yep. But, you know, just listening to the way Barry was talking, you know, it made sense because I've seen this play out more than once I for have, me in, I have, in I a tree, right? Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where you see and you maybe don't recognize it. And 
put it in your brain ironclad right. until someone else says it exactly. and you're like they're like well no shit yeah i've seen that a couple times you know what i mean <laughs> it's like, cost me a nice deer right yeah. it's like and you wonder you're like how do these guys consistently like barry and his career killed the monster deer that he did or any you know guy that or girl that i would look at and say that like and say i consider them to be a really good a really good hunter mm-hmm. you know they didn't just know this stuff either like they heard it somewhere probably got burned and saw it too yep. and it was like got it I won't do that again, or I won't make that mistake again. Or when I see this, I'll recognize immediately what it is. I've always been a a not a lone wolf kind of guy. Yeah, you like to do stuff on your own and and figure something out. And and well, I didn't figure that deer out on my own, man. That was that was a lot of me and you talking. Yeah, you know what I mean, back and forth about this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm thinking, and using you to validate or confirm what my thoughts were or whatever. So, I mean, we were both kind of on that deer together. Yeah, it was. it was, uh, he was just a good old buck to hang around and watch for three and a half years, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember whenever you called me when you shot him, I remember, well, first you apologized because you <laughs> thought I was going to be mad, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, I remember we both said, and this is, this is how you know you're hunting with the right guys. You know, when you think, when you don't even have to say anything, you both say the same thing, which was. The immediate things that were, that we both kind of thought and said was if it wasn't you, if it wasn't me, I'm glad you. Yep, that, and then part two was I'm kind of bummed I'm not going to see him around anymore. Sure, you know what I mean, like just because of that. What we were talking about earlier, that chase, right? Like yeah. wanting that chase. That that was the best part of it was kind of chasing him. Well, uh, and I, I've never really, I've never been like this. Uh, I went up to him and nailed over him, and and I just, I just, uh, yeah. Picked his head up a little bit and patted his side, and uh, I'm like, "You, you are a cool dude, buddy." I, yeah. I didn't jump up and down that I got lucky. I, right. I could care less about that because that evening, Clint, he damn near got through there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a slickster, man. That's for that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, it's one of those deer that I won't like. That'll be with me for forever. You know what I mean? Just it how be. he worked as a learning experience and, for sure. And, and uh, to see to see. You evolved as he evolved with age. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting part of the cat and mouse game. Right. That's the interesting part of the cat and mouse game. Whether you're hunting a specific, you know, mature deer or whether you're hunting mature deer in general. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, as they kind of change in age, right, you kind of do the same thing, right? You could also then get into like, you know, because I've also had the conversation with some buddies, you know, Greg Litzinger. I mean, particularly, I think it was who we were talking. Actually, no, it was my buddy Garrett Benner, uh, Brenner. Um, we were talking about how often guys will pattern a specific deer or try to, mm-hmm. right? The first year that they try to get on them usually is like the year they get the closest opportunity. In many cases. In many cases, yeah. Because as the years go, that deer starts to pattern them and understand where they're having, you know, negative encounters. Sure. You know? Um, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. Now, I don't think that holds true across the board in every state. I think each don't. state is a little bit different sure. or each region is a little bit different based on the hunting pressure that you have. Right. Like I know for, I know for PA and hunting, uh, hunting lucky, it's like a hundred and late season, the one year. And then I had, and I saw him three times out of four sits yeah. in a late season. And then I saw him opening day and, and should have killed him if that deer didn't blow me up. Yeah. But that was like, it was only, I only legitimately hunted him probably five hunts and that was it. 
and it didn't. I don't think it gave him enough time to like figure out that I was starting to figure figure well, him I, out necessarily. Well, I agree wholeheartedly, Clinton. I think three of them hunts were late season after Christmas, correct? That you saw him. Yeah. Right. Well, four of them were, and I saw him. I hunted for him four days after Christmas in late season. There we and go. Three of those days, I had an encounter with okay. him. Okay. And then your closest encounter was the next opener. Was the opener the next, next year, year opener? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it, it's one of those things you're right. It's like as you evolve, they evolve, but sometimes they're evolving because you're educating them. Yeah. You know, and so it's always an interesting kind of balance. And, and, if, and if they get out ahead of you in that oh, uh, you're done. Uh in that <laughs> evolving process, uh you you're you're done. You yeah. Are, yeah. And, I mean, you can still get lucky, no pun intended, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think you're talking to the wrong guy if you're talking about luck, because yeah, I, yeah. I don't have much of it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to, I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about, you know, I know throughout your, you know, lifetime hunting, you've hunted a combination of public and, and private. You were hunting private land before it was cool. Like now all of a sudden it's in, in vogue for people to hunt private land, but you've been doing this for years. It, yes and no, it, yeah, uh, early on I had uh, access to private land. Right. It, it was people that I knew or a neighbor knew them. It says, yeah, you boys can go down in there and hunt. That's how it was back then. And, right. And I hate to say, you know, back then, we're talking the late 80s, early 90s. But right. as you well know, Clint, a lot of them have... Uh, closed up yeah access is hard to come by these days landowners have have changed people have passed away the ownership Mm -hmm. of the farm or the property is has switched hands entirely and and you can't get in there yeah and 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 that's that's okay with me because you you either adjust or you don't right and that's where that's part of my evolution into bow hunting uh, that i've started the last especially the last six seven eight years i did a lot more public Mm -hmm. land hunting yep and some of it's been good and a lot of it hasn't been all that good right but that's the public part of it right well everyone can do it right it's it's there for everyone to use right so it's a it's a good leveling level playing it is a level playing for everyone it's a you know, there's definitely, <clears throat> look, you and I were talking yesterday. It's like, you know, I grew up hunting a back 40, right? And when I first started bow hunting, it was all family owned land and stuff like that. I don't really have any access land to hunt down by me in Philadelphia. So everything I hunt down there is all public, you know? Um, but as we were talking yesterday, it's actually, I have the better deer that I've ever had to go after have been on public land well you uh, know based on the pictures you showed me uh, you damn right bro right yeah so there's a couple you know so i i used to not enjoy or look forward to hunting public land it was one of those things where it was but as i've gotten older i think what it is is like i got and this goes back to like what it is like being a bow hunter right it's like like you've got to enjoy the process and the grind a little bit right because you have to, you got to go out, you got to accept it. Well, and you got to be willing to go out and, and do the off season work, 
in the scouting and, and the things like that, that, that are going to put you in an opportunity when it comes, you know, October, November, and December, right. you know, um, for those who don't want to do that, public land sucks. Like it, it does, you know what I mean? Cause like, it's not, you can't walk, it's not like a back 40 where, you know, every nook and cranny yeah. of it. Cause even if you know a piece, it's going to change from year to year to year, depending on, well, what's the pressure on it for this year versus last year. What are the food sources doing this year, especially if you're not near ag, right? Are the acorns dropping this year? Or are they not? You Did know? the community cut a hike and trail through there? Right. Yeah. Everything. Like yeah. anything, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like if you, the guys that I know and, you know, that hunt a lot of public, you know, that, um, you know, and I know I keep referencing Greg because he's just one of my, my better friends that, you know, he hunts a lot of public and he's really, really good at it. It's just like that guy's a beast when it comes to scouting. Like he is a monster when it comes to scouting. And that's why he sees good deer on public in a state like New Jersey. And I've taken a lot of like tips from him. You know, I'm fortunate that he's a buddy of mine and we share, you know, when well, he does more sharing than I do <laughs> at this point. Right. <laughs> um, you know, cause he knows a lot of that. Like I, a lot of what I know I've gotten from, from sure. him, you know, especially when it comes to that type of stuff. And you have to be receptive to that as a bow hunter. Don't, yeah. don't try to make yourself into the, Oh, you're not the end all be all. Yeah. I yeah. feed I feed off everybody. Like I said a little bit ago, I've I've learned I've learned a good bit off of, off of you, uh by your experiences, uh who you've talked to, your yep. podcast, uh who you've had on your podcast and uh as you talk about that stuff, it's not going in going oh, in yeah. one ear and out the other oh. with me, dude. I'm I'm sponging that up, right? Because I learn, I I learn every every hunt I'm on. I, I'm 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 learning something here. You, you got know? to. You, you know have I mean? to. Yeah, I mean, if you're not, then it's just, um, you're just not capturing the full experience. If you're not, no. you know what I mean. And that, and to me, it's like most of the guys who are, you know, guys and girls who are bow hunters. It's like that's what they really look for. They're looking for that like next tidbit of information. It's going to help them the next time they go hunt. Sure. And that that to me is ultimately kind of what starts to define like someone who is like, a, and I don't, I'm not classifying a bow hunter as saying like, well, there's gun hunters, there's bow hunters and this way is the better way. Like that's not the intent of this. Right. It's more of like someone who is a diehard bow hunter. They are interested in and looking for those small little things, hunt over hunt over hunt yep. to continue to evolve and learn and, and start to tip the odds in their favor yep. a little bit more. Right. Um, and so it's not a one is better than the other or one versus the other. It's more of a, this is usually, you know, a, a trait that people who are hardcore bow hunters yeah. that are really into it, yep. that they have, you know, is that, uh, you know, thirst for, for knowledge. Oh, it, anything I can get my hands on. And we've talked about this dozens of time, Clint. And how many times have I mentioned to you about any little thing, whether it's, a tiny thing to a a much broader thing. Anything that you can possibly sway good fortune or the odds your way mm-hmm. out there, no matter how big or small it might be, it can only it can't hurt. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It can't hurt. You're just trying to stack the odds. You're trying Maybe. to stack the as many odds. As, as many of them as you can get. And, and still, if you're if you're a real honest bow hunter, then you don't fabricate anything still you can stack the odds as high as you can there's still a lot of instances where you're gonna oh you're failing you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna fail you're gonna strike out yeah and and but that's the appeal 
Yeah. That's the appeal. If you can't, if you can't accept that, or you find that hard to to digest, uh, go fish for bluegills in the in the farmer's pond or something. That way, <laughs> right. you throw a worm on the hook, you're guaranteed that you're gonna, yeah, maybe get bit. You yeah. know, yeah. So, talking about all this and like you know, evolving as a bow hunter and learning and 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 kind of like it's a never a never ending kind of you know, adventure as far as like, oh, Clint, we could turn this into a 10 hour podcast. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, you know, every year I kind of look at my year and say, you know, um, John and I haven't, I think John and I are going to do our goals setting for the year type of podcast here coming up in like the next week or so Yeah, good deal. Um, before the, before the year starts. But, you know, I always try to look and say, all right, if I just do one thing better this year than I did last year, what is that one thing I want to want to do, you know, or what is the one thing I want to challenge myself with? You know, sometimes it's, I want to challenge myself like this year for me, it was, I want to go out, you know, and I talked about this before, but it was really challenging myself to spend a lot more time off season scouting than I have in years past to figure out some of the public that was around my house yeah. more so than I figured out in the past. So this year I did that and I've got probably like, you know, six, six different pieces that I've scouted pretty well. And I, you know, and I'm, there's animals on just maybe one or two that I'm interested in or yeah. whatever that says, Hey, the caliber that I'm looking for is in this area. So I'm probably not going to hunt all six, but I went out and did my due diligence to try to figure some stuff out. So that you was have, my you challenge. Have, you have barreled into some pieces down yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the thing that I challenged myself with last year. Right. And hopefully it'll pay off in the season. There's obviously things that I look at during the season. I'm trying to get better at, like I'm always trying to be, smoother in my setup i'm always trying to be a little lighter a little bit more mobile mm -hmm. trust myself a little bit more reading sign yeah. like in 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 hunting hot sign versus having a plan walking in with a plan and only sticking to that plan regardless of what i see right so what for you what is what are some of the things like this year or just overall in general like the next few years or whatever that you're challenging you're challenging yourself with well you touched on several of them right there clint uh believe it or not <laughs> and i've i've had to come to terms with this myself because I, I got to be as honest with myself as a guy should be, right? right? Especially a bow hunter. I got to, I'm going to be more diligent on being more patient. All right, folks, we're back. Sorry about that. A little technical issue in the form of Clint letting the thing run out of the recorder running out of battery. Way to go, Clint. Yeah, I know. It's like a, you think I've done this a couple of times. Yeah. I've done a hundred and this will be a hundred and thirty six or seven of these that I've done. Hundred and thirty eight of these that I've done. Well this is, this kind of seems like your first time. Yeah, and exactly. It's <laughs> it feels like the first time. Okay, come on. <laughs> I think that might be the first time I've ever sang on the podcast. Th that album was very overrated if I heard Thin Lizzy when I was driving back Atta up. Oh boy. Yeah. And that's, boy. Uh, I still, uh, every time I hear Thin Lizzy, I think of you because you <laughs> let me borrow your Thin Lizzy record. I don't know if you remember that, but I was, I had the old Volvo, the, yeah. the small Volvo car. I threw the Thin Lizzy CD in that you let me borrow. Yeah, live and dangerous, bro. Yeah. Leaving camp, had the sunroof open. It was like peeling out down the dirt road with well, the hand out the window. Uh, that was the, uh, that was the UFO Strangers in the Night CD. Yeah. Too. It was a rocker, dude. That oh, was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. like me some Thin Lizzy. But uh, so anyway, back to uh, back to deer hunting. So what we were saying before <laughs> before we were interrupted by my lack of uh, my inability to to have fresh batteries. Um, 
we were talking about what you were challenging yourself with this year and what you started to mention was that you were like patience was the thing that you wanted to like work on this year that you needed to kind of focus on. So let's go ahead and jump back into that. What did you mean by that? Uh, to explain that better, Clint, being more patient, yes, in the tree while hunting or if critters are around or something like that, but I'm, I'm meaning on interpreting sign. Mm-hmm don't have a knee-jerk reaction to every little thing I see. Because sometimes I can get caught into that trap. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to admit that. Yeah. Uh, letting that happen, uh, more conscientious of a... Man, I, I just garbled that out there. That's all right. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> on, on, on a tree, on picking a correct tree. Yeah. Or even if I've dialed in a good tree, let's get on the right side of it. Right. for approaches or anything like that right. just uh just being more patient clint to boil it down into everything that might encompass a bow hunt right that's entry that's exit mm-hmm. uh my equipment i use is fairly quiet mm-hmm. but at times i still will kick out a nice shrill metallic sound for whatever <laughs> reason mm-hmm. like an idiot but uh it, just to just to be more patient, me to be more. Well, I've always been comfortable, but sometimes I'm I'm not a, at at ease mm-hmm. like I should, because uh, I haven't let work exit the brain yet, right? Yeah, or anything that. like that. And, hear that? And to get out there and and I'm on a bow hunt, morning, evening, all day, what have you. Let's bow hunt. Right. And let's other thoughts can get rid of the bullshit. Get rid of the BS, homie. Yep. Get rid of the BS. Yep. I, I think for me that's 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 to put it in a nutshell, that's that's what I'm trying to just to be more diligent and and right. just about every move I make, whether the moves I make are correct, right, right or wrong. Uh you know, if I go about it in a clean clear frame of mind and mm-hmm. it ends up being a mistake i can live with it better right and if it turns out to be a plus right yeah that's I'll so much better in itself i'll tell you what i'm liking right now is this rainstorm after i uh after i checked cameras yesterday a little cleansing a little of cleansing the, a little yeah, cleansing yeah i didn't know this was in the forecast this is this is uh this is pretty nice this but. is in the forecast for today and tomorrow is it really yeah well i'm hoping it comes down my way because i gotta check cameras tomorrow you know down down philly way to see what i got going on and i've been looking for rain for like weeks and i've not got it while i was off so i, I hope think get it's a little bit. uh i think you're gonna get a little bit because uh hurricane, hurricane dorian yeah. is gonna be popping through she's gonna be washing out but you're gonna get some residual yeah. rain and wind off of that yeah i'm hoping we get just a little bit tomorrow so i can get my get my camera check done but uh you know i think for me it's it's similar to what you're kind of talking about where I'm challenging myself a little bit this year. Some of the same things you're talking about, always trying to be quieter, always trying to be stealthier, always trying to be smoother in my setup quicker, all those things. Um, you know, changing, I, you and I talked about it a little bit, but changing up some of my gear this year, as far as like how I'm climbing and stuff like that. So I was actually up this morning early, you know, in a tree yeah. climbing with a couple yeah, different, couple different approaches, yeah. just trying to get slick, setting up my camera. Cause I'm filming all my hunts this year. On your practice climb this morning, how many pounds you carry in there with you? Um, I try to keep it pretty legit. 
as far as like what would be similar to what I would carry into the woods uh, with me. Exactly. That's you know, what I'm so asking. like I hiked in, I put my saddle on and it has all my ropes and stuff in it. Gotcha. And then, um, I had my sticks, my three cut down sticks. I have them on like a little caddy that I made to carry them on my shoulder. Sure. So I had that on one shoulder, but I also wanted to climb with my steps too. Cause I'm practicing with both. Exactly. So I threw those in my pack and what would go in my tap pack typically would be like, you know, carrying those onyx unit, you know, sometimes if it's not raining or whatever, um, a few things, but most of what I need in my pack is in there now, but I threw that in the pack to kind of mimic the weight that I would have of just yeah. like some odds and ends in there. So it's like about five pounds or whatever in there. And then I threw my camera in there and with my, my camera arm, that way I could get into the tree, set it up and kind of get my system dialed in and stuff like that. So I don't know. I probably had five, seven, maybe 10, nine like eh. and that's kind of that's kind of what you're like seven pounds in, in my in my pack roughly yeah you know what i mean and then i had my saddle on me and my sticks and that's what, what you're trying to get to that's yeah. a happy happy weight yeah i mean the last time i think i weighed everything together like what my pack and everything would be you know i think with my sticks or with my steps if i use my steps i think was right around like 15 pounds mm-hmm. like all in uh it'd be just a little bit heavier with my sticks it, it de- depending, but today I was kind of timing myself getting up and down the tree to see how long it was going to take me so I know what it's going to take to get in and out, right. you know, quickly and quietly. Good homework you know. to do. Yeah, yeah, so that's the things that I that I try to work on continuously is, like, those types of things. I think the big thing for me this year, though, is you're trying to be more patient. I'm actually trying to be more aggressive this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I think I've burnt myself a couple years, uh, in years past at least, by not being aggressive enough. Uh, Having hot sign in front of me, you know, people listen to this podcast have heard me talk about it before, but having hot sign in front of me and then not capitalizing on it type of thing because I just didn't didn't trust myself. So I'm trying to get to a point to where I trust myself better whenever I see something and I'm like, hey, I should be making a move on this, that I that I make the move on and I act on it. Well, I've always thought this way, and we've talked about this before too, Clint. If you, if you end up getting a little aggressive and you wreck something, so what? Right. <laughs> you did. Right. You know, I'm not going to let it dictate a hunt. Yeah. Or my approach. Uh, do I want to go and do that again? Mm-hmm. No. Right. But it, I think that's the cards you're going to be playing with if you get a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. And you're willing to uh, take that into willing consideration. To accept it. Well, I think part of it, too, is is that, you know, I don't. So when I hunt, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, when I hunt, I hunt private and public land a little bit differently, and I don't think I'm saying anything that's earth shattering. I think a lot of people do, right? And what I say by that, what I mean by that is that if I'm hunting private land, like down at my dad's, for example, did a card pool yesterday, yeah. have one good deer on the property that you know when the transition happens, does he stay around? I don't know. Historically, we've had like a handful of good deer in the summer. Then his, historically one to two would stick around and be on the property whenever October hit at least may not be living on the property because it's only 60 acres, but we'll be passing through traveling through as part of their core area for the fall. Um, that when I talk about hunting aggressively, it's, you know, it's, it's tempered a little bit for a couple reasons. It's only 60 acres. So if I get too aggressive and I move a deer off of that, property or i change his pattern or send him into being more nocturnal or sticking closer to his bedding his bedding probably isn't on our property he's unhuntable now yeah right you know 
where on public, I'm a little less worried about it yeah. because what I'm doing typically, whether it's private or public is I'm now, you know, I've been harping on this, you know, I'm hunting terrain features that I'm recognizing that mature deer are liking to, to use. Yeah. And so it might not even be a primary terrain feature that you would look at on a map and recognize like, Hey, that's a funnel or that's a pinch point or that's a saddle or whatever the case is. It might be the secondary terrain feature that you really only recognize by putting boots on the ground and scouting it and you recognizing that this is getting used. Right. Um, and so there's a spot like that on, on, on dad's piece where there's an area where you would not think mature deer would walk through, but it's the one place where I get almost like 90% of the mature deer on camera walk through that spot. Well, how many times we've we been out and I've uh, even Chad, you and I out in Ohio a couple of times doing some, yeah, doing some uh, ridge running out there scouting. Yep. Uh, how many times you, have you heard me say, look at that little subtle roll right there or mm -hmm. that, that real subtle change. Yep. How that bank just rolls off there a little bit right off the, a trail that's on the top. Yeah. It's just, it's just it's, I don't know. It's there's, little things like that. There's just lots of little things like that trying to hunt these guys that uh yeah. that uh that I I eagerly await yeah. every year. And it and it 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 gets more I get more anticipation now as he, as each year passes because oh, yeah. because i'm not getting younger right. none of us are, well it's right? funny man it's like we're not you know like you said you have a five and a nine in your age right yeah. it, you know and uh, i'm younger than you of course right but i even still think about it now as far as like you know how many hunting seasons do i have in front of me right like i i think of that and i'm not old right but i'm not in my 20s you know so I think about that going, you know, how many good hunting seasons where my body is going to allow me to do whatever I want to do, do I have in me? So, and I'm not talking about like how many seasons am I going to have to get out, right? I'm more talking about how many seasons am I going to have where I can hunt the way I want to the hunt. The way you want to hunt. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, spending, you know, you spend a little time with rodeo and I scouting and stuff like that. It's like, and I love hunting with Chad because we, we go after it similarly, right? It's like we barrel in, like we're careful, right? But it's like sure. we're high octane, if you will, right? Yep. It's like we got to climb that ridge. Well, let's climb that ridge, exactly. you know. Or it's like, oh, you want to climb that tree? Well, let's just climb that tree. It's like, like we don't really care what the I, I know what the barrier is. It's just, like, let's just make it happen. I like ripping through the woods with you guys, uh, but uh, it keeps uh, it puts things in perspective. <laughs> I, I must say, because for every step I t every step. Uh, Chad would gallop through the woods, and I'm taking three. Right. And I'm like, dang, I got a dog behind this guy. I'll yeah. take him yeah. in here. He can, he can traverse. He man. can move, man. <laughs> yeah, he can. He can. Um, but that's what I'm working on, man. It's it, and, like, and Going back to what I was saying about how I hunt it a little bit differently, it's always terrain now. But if I'm doing it on public land and I've got more area, I'm less concerned about being aggressive because I'm, I'm not hunting – only like the one deer that might be there. I'm hunting a terrain feature that hopefully will give me opportunities at multiple mature deer, sure. right? That, that, you know, or, you know, if I do bump him, if I do know where he might be going, I've got enough land that I can go maybe try to track him down again. You know what I mean? Where on I hear my dad's piece, it's like, if I blow him out and look, deer will take more pressure than I think we give them credit for. I know. Right. Yeah. But just in layman's terms or just to make it really simple, if I bump this deer on my dad's property, there's a chance that I'm not going to see him in daylight again. And I have no way to go find him because he's probably spending 
his daylight hours not on our property. Exactly. Right? right. We're on public where if I bump him and he moves 600 yards or whatever, 700 yards, mm-hmm. whatever, from where he was betting before, it's like up or down or out. Yeah. Whatever direction. Right. It's like I can still go try to find where sure. he's where he's living or where he's moved to and what are the terrain features between, you know, a and B, where he's betting now, where he wants to go. What are those terrain features yeah, he's going well, to use to get there? If it's that special time of the year, he's not going to stop his game. Right, right. He just might change the change his approach a little sure. bit, right? So, I mean, those are the things that I'm, you know, that I'm always kind of kind of working on. But that's a big thing for me this year is just being a little bit more aggressive because I feel like of the one time where I was in Ohio where I found that sign mm-hmm. and I was like, this is a good spot, mm-hmm. you know, and then I killed that deer you know, two days later or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. That was probably the only time that I ever really trusted myself truth of the matter was is i had to because we only speed scouted that that area one day in the summer before that and yep. so i didn't know shit else about it and so i found hot sign a hunted hot sign right killed a deer there you, you know go. so um i probably just need to take uh more of that approach going forward but so what are your goals for this year what's tater want to do this year i tater wants to uh I want to try to knock a couple deer down early in the state of PA. Mm-hmm. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. Will it be realized? Time will tell. Right. I want to have, well, a goal of mine is to have a heck of a lot better weather. I'm not making excuses. Right. But to have a heck of a lot better weather than right. what I experienced last year or probably a lot of other guys. Yeah. Know? But that's Mother Nature. Yep. Uh, and I can live with that. Yep. I'm good with that. A goal is to be safe. Mm-hmm. Don't want to get hurt because I love what I do. Uh, the biggest goal is to enjoy what I'm going to do uh, mm-hmm. each and every hunt. Yep. Good, bad, no sightings, getting run over. I I, I, I told you before in in this here a few minutes ago, I, I try to keep everything on, a, on an even keel. Mm-hmm. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Yep. I never get too low unless the wind's blowing 30 mile an hour three days in a row. Right. <laughs> I can get my, my uh, lower lip might droop a little bit. Right. And I, I'll, I'll act a little bitchy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't dictate anything. That That's my goals, Clint, is, right. is uh, whether or not I'm successful in mm-hmm. achieving what I've set my goals for. Right. That's why you set goals. Yep. What about Ohio? You, you you doing Ohio for sure? Even, I, even if Steve doesn't go? I sure am. Yeah. I sure am. Uh, nice. I will be met with discord as I leave here for my wife. Right. <laughs> Why do you do that? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, I understand her concern. Right. And yeah. and I don't I don't take it lightly. Yeah. You know, but. Well, when you hunt and you travel alone and you go to hunt alone, it's like I'm doing it in Iowa this year, right? It's like solo john will be there of course yeah we're not hunting the same property necessarily but he's going to be five ten minutes away from where i'm hunting yeah. like it was where he lives yeah. you know i'm actually going to stay with him for a couple of days but you know wife always gets a little concerned when i do a trip where i'm going by myself and you know don't have someone who i'm checking in with every night because there'll be nights where john and i probably won't see each other because he's getting in late or i'm getting in sure. late and whatever so you know it's those types of things that concern her why well, I, I get that, and uh, I guess it's kind of no, kind of nice to know that 
somebody likes us a little bit. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> better than better than the alternative, I I guess. So I no, wa- but I'm going to Ohio, and I think I got. Uh, he's a difficult bird at times, but I think I got him. I think I got him, man. Got him convinced. Uh, I just need to twist that arm a little harder. I think. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's kind of. He's kind of gotten out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think he needs a boost. Uh, whether I can uh, supply that, uh, I don't know. But I'm I'm trying like hell because right. we've been good, good friends and good hunting fishing buddies for since high school, Clinton. It's right. been a long time, and uh, you know, if, if you really look at things as you should, uh, with my age, you know how mm-hmm. many. How many times you got to have, you know, yeah. it's, uh, I'm yeah. going to take advantage of, uh, the time I have. And I, I know I have a lot more left, but like I said, I'm not going backwards. I'm going right. forward. Right. So, yeah. and that's what I threw at him. I says, you know, he just lost his brother and his father. And right. I went through a time there not too long ago. I remember uh, that. Yeah. Where, uh, uh, I didn't really give a rat's ass about a lot of things. Right. Uh, Cause I had a lot of loss and, uh, I told you before that uh, the fire wasn't burning bright at all, but there were still some embers there. Right. And it took you. Yeah. Uh, and that's why uh, I appreciate your friendship. Uh, it took you to uh, get a fire lit under my ass again yeah. on approaching a sport that I really love. Yeah. Well, and, I was glad and, I could light the fire, man. And and I, I kind of I got out of for a little bit. I went, Clint. But that's all I did. I right. went. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I, I re- didn't go or experience. I went. Right. And there's a big difference. Yeah. No, I remember that, man, because I remember the, you know, we had a shared a moment on that ridge after you killed that deer in Ohio together, yeah. you know, and that was special. You know, we won't necessarily get into the details. We'll keep that between me and you. But yeah. it was uh, it was needed, and I was glad I was there to be part of it. Well, I I, I kind of needed it, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm 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 not ashamed of anything. I'm, yeah. I'm a man, and I, if I want to shed a tear, I will. Right, <laughs> exactly. I still cry at the end of Dances with Wolves when wind in these hairs, saying, "I'll always Tomani be." Tatanka, Owachi, Pishniela, Melo. I'll always be your brother. <laughs> yeah, I, hell, I cry up at uh, Dances with Wolves. So if I have a special moment out in the deer woods and uh, my eyes get a little moist, yep, no problem with that. Not with me. Yeah, that's it, man. Not with me. I look at things in a very realistic manner. Yeah. I like that I just busted out some uh, some Lakota Sioux right there. Did you there like you that? There you go. I got on you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been at this for about an hour and a half. We'll wrap this up with one last question for you, and it's the big one. So why does Kenny Williams hunt? First off, it's uh, it's enjoyment. It's something that I enjoy to enjoy doing, period. Uh, as as I've gotten older, it's more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a spiritual guy. I, I have my beliefs. Right. You know, yep. I'm, we're not going to get into that aspect of things. But I hunt all game. It's because it's something that I totally enjoy doing. It's. I find it hard to to use the word kill anymore, mm-hmm. yep. and I, I'm I'm not trying to be some special dude right, because yeah. I'm not. But 
if it's all about taking a deer now or, mm-hmm. or busting a gobbler or, right. or just or something like that i don't know if i can answer your question uh, what you might be trying to get out of me but it's 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 a very it's a very as i've gotten older it's a very peaceful thing to me mm-hmm. i love the solitude at times i mean solitude uh yep. when i'm by myself not to be selfish i love hunting with you and friends and i'm glad you're around right but if you're not and i'm out there on my own uh, i i relish that at times yep because um in this day and age clint the world's crazy uh everything's so fast mm-hmm. things get a little slower they, they slow down a lot out yeah. there in the woods yep. or in the fields and uh, that that's basically uh the point i'm trying to make right there that's why i hunt i i love the uh the white especially pam she never experienced uh venison mm-hmm. until we we got together mm-hmm. uh her family didn't there wasn't hunters in the family and 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 that's okay yeah you know but uh i love a good venison meal uh i hope one of us gets something this year because uh i'm jonesing for your little uh <laughs> the the dish oh i'm jonesing for that yeah. but uh just all them little things clint it's just the peace that it brings me Mm -hmm. it's also the frustration that it can bring me yeah Uh, yeah i'm I'm not gonna step around things here uh the the exhilaration of uh a moment Mm -hmm. whether you let an arrow go or not Mm -hmm. it's just there's just a lot of things i love uh, it took me a long time but i when I had the opportunity to get into their environment, not yeah, and they do their thing, I I I'm just very, I find myself very fortunate to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, not I, to get deep and no, dude, all crazy deep. It's no matter how long that moment might last, whether it's five seconds or fifteen minutes, I I just. I just fully appreciate every uh when they let me in the when they let me in the door I I I, I barge right in and, yeah. and stay as long as I can. Yeah. That's a great way to say it, man. And that's I think that's a great place to to end this one. So yeah, I just want to say thanks to you for Oh, thank you, brother. Introducing me to, to bow hunting. Um, you know, I there's not a day that goes by that I'm not thankful for your friendship and that the way you introduced me to the to the deer woods and the time that we spent together and i look forward to all the times we get to spend together in the future and i love you man i love you too clint right folks glad to be here this was uh this was a pleasure doing absolutely all right folks that is uh kenny tater williams you won't ever meet another one like him bye 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 all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening of course i'd like to thank my buddy tater for coming on and if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so. We'd be super appreciative if you'd do those two things for us. One thing to make quick mention of before I get out of here is if you're looking for a pair of quality rubber boots, be sure to check out Gumleaf USA Boots at gumleafusa.com and use the promo code TRUTH19 to save yourself some dough. And with that, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. 
Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. Long time coming if it all. It takes a special knowing to call a fall. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers. But I